0: My childhood was pretty unusual, I guess you could say. When I was only seven, my father and my mother and I were out in a boat, a fishing boat, and my father had a heart attack and passed away. That was a very traumatic experience for me as a young child. I had prayed that he would live, and he didn't, and so I was always it seems like seeking God and seeking to find out why when I prayed my father hadn't lived why my life had changed so radically after I lost him so that was an important part of my childhood and it also was still going on after I married and had two children I had become a physical therapist My husband and I had moved from upstate New York, where we both had grown up in a small town, and we went to Alaska. And so when I had my near-death experience, I was going through a big change of faith, I guess you could say. We had started going to a new church. I had been seeking to feel as though I really would be able to go to heaven someday and I had thought of myself as being a born-again Christian. I was introduced to the concept of baptism in the Holy Spirit as a sign of someone who was going to be accepted and go on to heaven, that it was a a validation. But at the same time, I was injured at my job as a physical therapist I had already had one back surgery five years prior to that and so it was a situation where I may have to no longer be able to work as a physical therapist if I had to have a spinal fusion done. And the doctors couldn't tell me for certain whether that was going to be the case or not. So my near-death experience happened when I was having that surgery done at the same hospital where I worked. My husband and my two children, who were nine and six at the time, had come to the hospital with me and had been sent to a waiting room while I was taken into surgery. I was, of course, under anesthesia. I was, had been placed on my stomach so they could reopen my back. But while I was under anesthesia, suddenly my consciousness was out of my body and was up in a corner of the operating room focused on ceiling tiles that were just a few inches away from my vision, but noise in the operating room of the surgeon swearing at a nurse and sending the nurse to get blood transfusion and the ruckus of what was going on in there drew my attention back in time to see my body being turned from on my face to being face up and realizing that that was me and that therefore since I was seeing my body but not in my body that I must be dead so in alarm my first thoughts were I have to get to my husband and to my kids I somehow I have to be able to communicate to them that the essence of me is okay I'm alright I'm yes I'm dead but I'm I'm okay but they aren't going to be, I, I need to get to them. So as I'm thinking these thoughts, although I felt kind of calm and, and just removed from my physical body, I was, because of my concern, wanting to get to my husband and to my kids and my consciousness began drifting literally through the wall of the OR, retracing the steps that my stretcher had brought me to the OR, and out into the hallway, and got to an open door of an elevator, and a telepathic voice said to me, pay attention to this man. And so my attention was drawn to a man in regular street clothes who was rushing back in the direction that I had just come from. And as I looked at him, I'm a nearsighted person who can't see without my glasses, but I not only could I see him very clearly, but I actually was able to like zoom in and see, oh, his, this is what his hair color is. This is what his eye color is. These are the clothes he's wearing. This is everything kind of magnified about him. And also to be able to hear his thoughts. And I heard his thoughts that he needed to get in there fast. And as he is thinking this, I also picked up the thoughts of another man who was down near the OR entrance, who was looking at this man and was thinking, what does this guy think he's doing? He can't go into the operating room area. He's not allowed. Yet, as I watched the intertake that was going on there, the man I was supposed to pay attention to paused for a bit and then... Electronic doors, double doors opened, and then he rushed on through. And as soon as that took place, my mind was back about into thinking about the waiting room and trying to get to my husband and kids. And so I began to think again of going where I thought the waiting room might be. But I stopped being able to control my motion of where my consciousness was going and I began to be drawn upward through the ceiling of the floor that I was on, up into the following floor and continued up through floors until I was out the whole roof of the hospital and up into the sky at about the level of a small plane and then was drawn over the city of Anchorage, which was where the hospital was located and as I'm going over the city of Anchorage and not feeling any resistance to any of my movement, but I'm going faster and faster, I reached the water's edge and a dark tunnel, cave-like opening opened up and I was drawn into it. And once I was inside, I began moving extremely fast. And began to notice that the only light I could see, it was all dark around me, was a pinprick of light way off in the distance. And the faster I went, the larger the light was becoming until I finally burst into the light itself. And I was immediately filled with an enormous sense of love, peace, joy, Bliss and all sorts of emotions and a feeling of being everything was all right, that I was okay, everything was okay. And I looked down to see where am I, and saw brown, rocky ground, a very arid, almost deserty type of a look. And as I looked down and saw no feet or anything, but saw these things, I immediately was thinking, this isn't what I would think heaven would be. Where am I? And as I thought that, again, another telepathic voice off to my left spoke, saying, follow me. And as I heard the words, I noticed that there was a man that was climbing up a slope out of this area that I had come out into. And as I looked at him, I immediately was like right behind him, watching and also going up this slope. So I looked at him carefully, um, his back, and I noticed that his hair was almost black and had been pulled back and tied with a piece of leather. Clothing-wise, he had on just an off-white, rough garment with, again, a simple leather belt around the waist and it came down about thigh length, mid-thigh length. On his legs and feet were sandals and the sandals had ties that crisscrossed up his calves and tied under his knees. And so, again, my thought was, this can't be heaven. If it's heaven, I should be with Jesus. And I don't know who he is, but it's not Jesus. Yet I felt like he was, had a kindness and a love about him, that a concern and a compassion for me. I could feel these feelings from him, but was really confused and puzzled. And as we came up out of this area, up over the slope, the whole landscape changed. And suddenly it was a totally green, lush, gorgeous-looking area grass and bright flowers, all kinds of colors that I had never seen before, trees with beautiful lush leaves. It was mesmerizing. And I noticed that this immense light that I had come into was actually within every living thing that I was looking at, inside the flowers, inside the grass, inside the trees and leaves and emanating out. And as I was fascinated with this, the man that I had followed had gone on ahead, began thinking of him as my guide. He spoke telepathically again and again said, follow me. And immediately I was up behind him again. And this time he was on the bank of a river. And that's the first that I remember him actually turning toward me and looking toward me so that I was able to see his face and take it all in. And on the opposite bank of this river, I began to see deceased relatives, my father, my brother who had died in a car accident, aunts and uncles who had passed away, four people that weren't familiar to me as far as how they looked, but I just knew they were the four grandparents who had all died before I was born. And they were welcoming me and being just so happy to see me, so glad that I was there. And I wanted to go across this water, this beautiful, bright, glistening water, to where they were. But my guide said, no, you can't go now. We have somewhere else we have to go first. And since I was being drawn and not controlling where I was going ever since I had gone upward in the hospital, I was pulled along with him as he went down around the bank of the the river and into an opening that was filled with a big, beautiful building that all I could think of was Greco-Roman styling because it was white pearlescent white, glowing from inside like everything else was. And I also saw other spiritual people there, and they were going up this long line of stairs that went up to where columns were beside the doorway and others that were down in the open area around the building. My guide went on ahead up to the entrance doors and said to me, follow me. And so I followed him into the building itself. And as we went in, it appeared as though it were an enormous library. It had a very long open area that was filled with tables. And on either side, up as high as you could see, on either side were all kinds of books and old scrolls. My guide communicated to me, this is where the books of life are stored, but we're going to another area, follow me. And we went through this entire area and into a hallway area toward the back, and then into a room in which a whole group of spiritual beings were around what you would almost think of like a conference table. And so, my guide spoke again and said, we're going to look at your life and everything that has happened up until this time. And as he said it, it was as though a hologram appeared in the center of this conference table. And prior to that coming up, it had looked actually clear and almost like a glass bottom boat rather than a table. But once that came up, it began showing everything that had happened throughout my life and I began feeling as though I was reliving it all over again. Not just my own feelings and experience of it, but also being able to feel the person that I was interacting with and feel as though I were that other person. In places where I had misunderstood or been unkind to someone else, I felt the anger or the hurt that they were feeling and I saw the ripple effect that it had when they went out and then carried those feelings and turned them into actions that were negative against other people. And on contrary side, when I had said and done things that were kind, I was feeling how important that was and how good that was. i was feeling being the other person and again saw the ripple effect that came out from them being able to take that same kind treatment and pass it on to other people so it it was an amazing experience and i felt bad for things that i felt i could have done better but all of the spiritual people who were there only radiated love and understanding to me and no sense of judgment, whatever. And I got the feeling that I should know who these beings were. I felt as though they had helped me plan my life before I was ever born. They knew all of what I had hoped to accomplish in my life. And they then said, you can go back to your life or you can stay here. But before you decide, we want to show you things that will happen if you go back to your life or some things that may happen or may not, depending on another person's free will choices that could alter what we're going to show you here, because everyone has free will. And at this point, I know something else happened. but. I have never been able to remember what because the next thing that I recall is being in a totally different smaller room with my guide and he said to me that he wanted to show me the prayers that I had asked people to pray for me that I would not lose my career and that I would not have to have the spinal fusion and so he showed me off to the right and I saw what looked like musical notes and if you look at a score of music and you see the dark notes and the whole notes and I saw these notes but they were connecting one to another going upward rather than like across a, a sheet of paper and my guide said that each one of those notes represented a different prayer and that every prayer has its own unique vibration. And as these prayers kept coming up closer to me, my guide said, I also want to show you what's happening in the hospital. And as he said that, it was as though I could see through a ceiling into the room where my husband and the kids had been waiting for me. And I also saw my husband standing in a doorway to this small room. And the doctor who had operated on me, standing in his surgical clothes, speaking to my husband, and behind them where my children were, I saw my daughter. I felt that she had been so scared that I was dying. And so she, along with the other prayers, prayed that I would live. And when she did pray that, My guide allowed me to feel all of my emotions of being her mother, of being my husband's wife, of being my son's mother, of being Karen, and feeling that I had to go back because I couldn't allow this to happen if I had a choice. So I did choose to go back to my life. And before I left, my guide said, you will be able to have proof of everything that has happened here because you're that type of person that just needs to know that you know something. But you're not going to be able to remember anything about your future that we showed you because that would take away your capacity for your own free will. You would be not able to choose except for what you thought was supposed to happen. So that was the last thing I was aware of until I was waking up in a recovery room and my husband and the kids were by my stretcher. And the thing that's very strange to explain to anyone is I felt as though I was operating with two different consciousness. One was my physical body's consciousness. And my brain was very much still under the effects of anesthesia. My physical body consciousness was trying to figure out what in the world had happened to me. I was looking down at a very bloated stomach and I thought to myself, and I think even said to my husband, did I just have a baby? I could not remember that I had been there to have a back surgery. That's how befuddled my brain consciousness was. But at the same time, my spiritual consciousness that had just been through this near-death experience was recalling everything in complete and sharp relief. And in addition, was filled with the same love and peace and bliss that I had experienced all during my near-death experience. I was filled with it as though I was in a protective bubble. And I just knew the truth of everything that I was remembering had just happened. So I was hospitalized, in first in ICU, and then in another room, and I was in that hospital for 12 days. And during that time, a man came in, a doctor, to check on me and as soon as I saw him, I realized that he was the man that in my NDE I had been told to pay close attention to. He was the man that I saw that said, I've got to get in there fast. So after I was released from the hospital and had to go for a follow-up visit with this doctor to get staples removed from my abdomen, I had made up my mind that I was going to find out about what I had seen during my near-death experience and get him to respond to me. So at the appointment, I told him what I had seen when I had my experience and told him about how he was dressed and what he looked like and what happened and asked him, is that what happened? And he responded back to me, how could you know that? And told me that he had been in his office seeing patients and had been paged to the hospital to try to save someone who had had a major artery cut and was bleeding had bled out on the operating room table and that yes that was how he was dressed yes that was why i had seen him dressed like he was so that is my experience and that was my proof that I needed the reality of it was so much more intense than what we all experience in everyday life like for example in terms of talking about the colors and about just the sensations of unbelievable, unconditional love and peace. The only thing I've said is, in the Bible they call it, the peace that passes all understanding. (laughs) And it really does. You just can't express it. It's so intense and so indescribable. But I try, <laughs> I try to describe, but also when I tell about my near-death experience, in many ways, I'm re-experiencing it again each time I tell it. So therefore some of the emotion and some of the feelings at a level at a lower level kind of flow in whether I, whether i like it or not because i'm just reliving it a lot of us who've had near-death experiences call it it's like a homesickness in terms of that is home what i experienced there is home and at a level that is beyond what we think of when we think of home here in this life and so yeah Many people do go through a period of time of deep homesickness and wanting to be back there. So it can be challenging. And I don't have some of the psychic abilities that some people who have had near-death experiences have. But I do have strong intuition that I trust. And I also do communicate with spiritual guides including the one that was within my near-death experience through meditation and the things that make it so different besides the literal proof I had from the doctor are that it's every bit as clear and detailed now all of these years later when I'm 73 instead of 32 and that just simply isn't how other certainly not how hallucinations are and certainly not even like most memories. I haven't been in that hospital in all the years since and if I were to go back there today I would not remember how to get to the physical therapy department that I worked in but everything else of the details of my experience i remember so well so very vividly and also this type of reality the reality of of my near-death experience is not like a normal memory or a hallucination in that it has changed my entire life it has made what i believe and how i live my life entirely different than what it was before the experience happened to me. The main reason I didn't feel worthy before was because as a child and praying for my father to live, that I hadn't felt that my prayer had been worthy enough or I had been worthy enough for God to grant that to me. And so therefore, I thought I have to learn how to become more and more and more worthy, which is what led me in into the paths that I had gone into in terms of born-again Christianity, in terms of trying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what I called it was learning to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and become worthy enough. Whereas what I found when I was there was that I already was worthy enough. And not only was I, but so was my father and my brother and my other relatives who I knew very well had not been born again Christians, had not had baptisms in the Holy Spirit. In fact, before this all happened, I had worried deeply that they had not made it into the afterlife, that they had not crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. And half of me worried that that was the case, and that when I died, I would be there and they wouldn't. Or did I really want to be there if they weren't? So lots of questions having to do with worthiness completely were evaporated by my experience because I wasn't judged in any way. I was made to feel completely and totally loved and accepted as I was and realized that that's true of everyone. But it's a natural feeling, I think, that a lot of people have. Maybe not as intensely as I had before, because of my particular circumstances, but everyone kind of ends up feeling like God is all loving and so perfect, and I'm so far from perfect, and I can't, no matter how I try, ever be that perfect. And yet what we don't think about is God created us all differently, all uniquely, knows what our weaknesses are, if we want to call them weaknesses, and loves us all the more for exactly who we are. He created us this way. You know, it, one of the things I say to people sometimes is what kind of sense would it make for a God who knows everything and created every single thing about you? and knows before you know what you might choose that's a less-than-perfect choice. The only thing I can compare it to is being a parent and having a a small child who has less maturity than you, who makes a silly choice and hurts themselves as a result of making that silly choice, or maybe hurts someone else. There is no way with the love you have for that child that you're going to torture and harm them for something they simply weren't mature enough to yet understand and do more correctly. And you multiply that by a million and you have the immense amount of love that God has for us and the immense and tremendous understanding that God has for us beyond anything we can even realize or imagine. I do believe that we plan our life. And as I said, with the group that I I was with, I honestly think that we do plan to learn and to experience and to Have things happen within our life that will help us grow spiritually and are important for us to know. So many times in my life things have happened, doors have opened, people have come to me. All is part of my whole experience of spiritual growth. And it's not necessarily me seeking anything specific out. It is coming to me and then my choices determine what happens from there. So I don't believe that everything is set in stone and that it's everything is predetermined and that you only think you're making a free will choice but you're not, no. I believe it's a combination of you are planning certain life experiences and you will encounter them during your life in one form or another, but that you still have your free will choice. You will choose it or you won't. Like they said to me, not everything that they could show me would happen in my future would be definite because all of our lives are interactions with other people and each of those other people have free will choice also. So I may be choosing to go in a certain direction, interacting with someone, and the plan overall might have been for a certain thing to happen, but if that other person says, no, I'm not going that way at all, I'm not going to do that, then it will not happen. If God wanted us to be robots, that always made the exact response, we would have been created that way. But we are all created with free will and we make choices based on our free will all the time. And then we have the consequences that we face as a result of those choices that we make. It's the classic question of, why do bad things happen to good people? How can God who knows all and loves us so infinitely allow bad things? And the only thing I have been able to explain is think of your life up to this point and think of those times in your life when you actually felt as though you grew, and changed and were the better and infinitely so it seems as though it's those difficult and challenging and hard times not when everything's going along breezing along everything's going your way you know that's when you become bored that's when you become thoughtless and not caring for others and centered on yourself it's an important part of our truly learning to love and care for other people. And also, it's important to remember that eternity is so far beyond what we can imagine. This lifetime is like a tiny speck in an eternity of an eternal spirit. And what seems like it's massively important and so dramatic and so awful, always has positive somewhere within it. And in the grand scheme of eternity, it's just a small, small thing. And so when I think of prayer, I think of it as being energy that we send out that is meant to be loving, thoughtful, supportive, and kind. All of those good things, all of those good ripples that we want so much to send forward. When we pray, that's what we're doing. We are putting it into a a strong energy format. And that goodness and that love that's behind the prayer that we're sending is powerful and is very, very important. And so to pray for a specific outcome, it's really more that you're praying for the love and the most compassion and the most powerful good to be sent to that person. And how the outcome of what we're praying for, for someone, turns out is almost secondary to the fact that we're sending that prayer. And then we have to trust that what results in the long run is ultimately what is best for that individual spirit. Maybe the person you're praying for doesn't live and does die at that time. That for them was the best time frame with the power of all that prayer behind them. There are lots of different ways in which people are able to communicate with their true inner spirit, their eternal spirit, and their higher self. Meditation is a very, very good way but there are also experiences through faith, through worship and through prayer. You can also communicate with your higher self and learn a great deal from those people who have gone on before, those people that have formed the foundation of whatever your faith is. And so long as they are built around that love and that giving of yourself to help others, all of those paths are ways in which you can do, you can have that closer communication with your higher self. There is no one must be the only answer type of thing. And I think that can be a problem for some people because they feel that there must be only one real true way to find God and to know, and yet there are many, many different paths. Some people will say, oh, I wish I could have a near-death experience like you did. You know, I just wish that I could have that experience. And they can by simply learning about other people's near-death experiences, learning how to meditate and in prayer, seek God and seek to learn more about their purpose here in life and how the love that they're seeking they can receive and can not only receive it themselves but pass it on to others and reach out and extend that love to other people and that's a big reason why we're back in our lives those of us that have had near-death experiences and Find out how important it is like through the near-death experience and really deeply understanding how much of an effect you can have on other people's lives simply by being kind and compassionate and loving and passing that, that on so that it can build into a bigger and bigger ripple through who knows how many other people. In some ways, what I'm doing here with you today Is part of that. We're never alone. God cares deeply about us and loves us more than we can imagine. Others also do, maybe loved ones of ours that are no longer in this life, their love is still there and is still very strong. The important thing is for people to learn somehow how to regularly tune into that love that is always there and that's again where i mentioned prayer and also meditation if they become part of your everyday life and you routinely do it then that helps in terms of when you're feeling as though no one cares and there really isn't anybody there to always know that in spite of your feelings that that isn't so and how to reach out, how to turn to those people who are out there, who do care and to seek through your own prayers that you can be made aware of them and they can be made aware of you. And so I believe who we really are is a beloved spark of our divine creator, and that we are here to learn in a totally different realm and an environment than our eternal spirit spends time to magnify our understanding and our desire to be more and more loving and compassionate and caring and realizing that everyone we encounter is also that same beloved spark of God.